0: all right all right this is uh political theory and um other stuff mike and paul here at it again this is the third episode going over uh the jordan peterson article by nathan robinson called the intellectual we deserve and we are excited to keep this moving here in the past episodes, we've just gone over some absurd uh, quotes by Peterson, talked about uh, how he intentionally frames things vaguely, and we got the pleasure of looking at some ridiculous diagrams. So, beautiful. Yeah, yeah beautiful, beautiful diagrams. Paul, do you want to start us off, and uh, hopefully this is about where we left off last
1: time. Peterson is at his murkiest.
0: Yeah, yeah, if you don't mind starting mm-hmm. us off there.
1: Let's do that. Uh, And if we are rereading stuff, uh, it's just because we knew how important it was uh, on a side note. Um, Totally, totally. So, uh, Peterson is at his murkiest when he is talking about nature. Half the time, he seems to be committing the naturalistic fallacy. He'll describe tendencies that exist and imply that these things are therefore good. So, he'll talk about dominance hierarchies among lobsters and exhort young men to look for your inspiration to the victorious lobster. Of course, the animal kingdom is also a place of mutual aid. And for a man to emulate a lobster is like a woman treating the existence of the praying mantis as a license to eat her husband. But Peterson will vacillate between seeming to claim that nature implies a clear and virtuous, hierarchical order of things and insisting that he is not precluding criticism of the existing order of things. When he seems to be saying something fallacious, parentheses, e.g. hierarchies are okay because natural, and He will qualify it with a caveat that means he is saying nothing at all. Parentheses again, e.g. natural things are sometimes okay, but not always. <laughs> and Perfect. <laughs> Sam Harris, who is sympathetic to Peterson's political stances, has pointed out in exasperation that many of Peterson's claims about the foundations of good conduct are either unsupported or do not make sense. Yeah, the naturalistic fallacy is really annoying. And I don't necessarily I think we wanna... talked
0: about it last time, but. Did we? Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay.
1: I don't want to attribute it to like all alt writers, but I feel, and this is all anecdotal. Or all not
0: anecdotal. just out alt writers, too, right. because there's a lot of not people that aren't alt writers.
1: Yeah. yeah. But I feel like when I encounter people who are attributing animal qualities to humans, that that's when I'm in like the real pun intended lion's den, if you will. Like that's when I'm like holy shit, shit's gonna get real racist or real dark pretty quick here. I feel like when you find that like actual Nazi, it's like well white people are just like lions and Mm -hmm. everybody, Mm -hmm. you know. That's when I feel like like oh shit, yeah. Uh, Sam Harris, yeah. Has human evolution actually selected for males that closely conform to the uh, heroism of Saint George, and is this really the oldest story we know? Aren't there other stories just as old, reflecting quite different values that might also have adaptive advantages? And in what sense do archetypes even exist? Isn't it obvious that most of what we consider ethical, indeed almost everything we value, now stands outside the logic of evolution? Caring for disabled children would not likely have been maladaptive for our ancestors during any conditions of scarcity, while cannibalism recommended itself from time to time in every corner of the globe. How much inspiration should we draw from the fact that killing and eating children is also an ancient archetype? There's no good reason for turning to evolution and the animal kingdom for moral advice, yet this is what Peterson recommends. Or doesn't. I'm dreading the inevitable emails insisting that I just don't understand Peterson, containing copious quotes in which he insists he is saying the opposite of things he seems to be saying elsewhere. By the way, an amusing aside, a few years years ago, my colleague Oren Nimney and I wrote a parody of nonsensical academic grand theory called Blueprints for a Sparkling Tomorrow, which literally happens to contain a passage recommending that human beings look to lobsters for moral advice, uh, begin quote. We therefore propose a substitute outlet for humankind's affections, the arthropod. Anyone who has attended a lobster wedding knows full well the kind of profundity and romanticism of which these divine creatures are capable. Yet the arthropod languishes in America's batting cages and seafood joints, stripped of its potential and dismissed in its attempts to make edifying contributions to civic life. Peterson's failure to credit us borders on academic malpractice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. God. That's
0: so awesome. That's so awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This dude's just so good at writing. I want to add more, but what? what No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think there is anything. I guess to me, it's just the more we read, the more we talk about, the more the absurdity of this gets so clearly highlighted. It's just more and more mind boggling the following that he commands. Uh, And my other thing, and maybe they'll talk about this in the article, maybe they won't, in no other human being, and I'm not even judging Peterson. I find it so weird when, and I would call Peterson a self-help person almost more than anything else at this point to me more than an academic, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure people will be mad. When people whose whole careers seem to be dependent on giving advice on how to live a solid life, I find it weird that they're able to maintain their careers after having like public breaks involved with drug addictions. Or involved
0: with anything.
1: You know? Yeah, but I mean for that crowd, and I'm only saying because like the people who look to that, I'm sure are um, not gonna be very sympathetic to that sort of thing out of other people. So when he does it, I just think it's weird that his his audience is like, yeah, that's fine. That's understandable. Um, when I feel like a lot of his rhetoric is based off of the ills of society um, and how his lifestyle advice can avoid it. Dude, you won't be a fucking single parent drug addict if you just stay married or, you know, kind of shit like that.
0: A- absolutely. I, to- I totally agree. And then, of course, there are all kinds of reasons for his – uh, reasons for his issues trotted out you know yeah but well he has to by his him followers him. you know but yeah. yet that same level of um understanding would not be given to to anyone but him A- yeah. and isn't given by him to to other people so it same. is yeah it's fascinating that uh or not fascinating it's pretty obvious why that would happen you know you're you're emotionally invested in someone and then they have issues You're...
1: it's weird for me and i can't say this for a younger me but the older i get i just don't have people i like like that i suppose
0: uh i'll go i'll go for a little bit and then you. Yeah. Can go. to the extent peterson has any kind of response to the charges that he is making all of this up it's just that imagination is real i don't understand what that means but um,
1: um he's not making it up imagination is real okay that's like Uh, some real magic sort of shit like this is not real
0: okay what's common across all human experience uh, across all time there are more are moral or metaphysical or phenomenological uh, realities that have the same nature. You can't see them in your life by observing them with your senses, but you can imagine them with your imagination. And uh, and, And sometimes the things that you imagine with your imagination are more real than the things that you see. Jesus fucking Christ. And, and when an interviewer asked him why people should believe the myths he cites, Peterson's response is that, well, you might as well take something seriously because life is serious, damn it. And a catastrophe awaits you. Interviewer, because a lot of people just look at these stories like, uh, what is that? Tiamat. Tiamat and Marduk.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Or the Christ story and the Bible stories and say, well, that's just, those are nice stories, but I'm not going to take it seriously. What's uh, the case uh, you make? Because I know actually, and then Peterson interrupts, well, what are you going to take seriously then? Uh, You're going to take nothing seriously. Well, good luck with that because serious things are coming your way. If you're not prepared for them by an equal metaphysical seriousness, they will flatten you. You can be dismissive with regards to wisdom, but that doesn't protect you from the coming catastrophe. This is not a persuasive argument, in parentheses, by uh, Nathan Robinson. I
1: don't mean to say that all of I'm Peter- out. I do want to interrupt, because something we all need to acknowledge is that, like- For a fuck ton of people, that is a persuasive argument. Like, when we talk about this now, like, yeah, that's fucking bad shit to me. But I obviously, it's persuading a fuck ton of people. And I would like to understand why a little bit more. And that's what this article is about.
0: I don't think it's just that... What's persuading them is not just that, right? Right. Um, Like one of the big things, and and here we go again, getting caught up. But one of the big things that talked about earlier is uh, Peterson's use of language makes people Mm -hmm. feel like there's stuff there they're missing. Um, Like in all those reviews, people were like, this is brilliant. I don't understand all of it, but it's brilliant. And so that's one of the things.
1: And inherently, a lot of people I meet Not a lot of people I meet. Uh, (laughs) I am aware of a desire for quite a few humans to be excited about coming consequences, to be excited about like the book of Revelations. People do and are persuaded by like, you've got to be prepared for that coming of times. Like your whole life was a hardening to make sure that you were ready for your final test or whatever. And just even talking about that gets people on board because they're like, God damn it, I knew I was prepared. something or i i don't understand it but it is uh i just wanted to say unfortunately that is a really persuasive argument from not just peterson but a lot of groups that are like we're gonna prepare you yeah for what's coming Uh,
0: absolutely i don't mean to say that all of what peterson says is in the category of the not even wrong Uh, Some of it is actually just wrong. He is is an unreliable guide to the facts, e.g. there are far more female physicians than there are male physicians, which is false for the U.S., Canada, and U.K., or his or his promotion of a bizarre conspiracy theory that Google is manipulating the search results for Bikini to include plus size models for political correctness reasons, which they aren't. His reading comprehension skills are limited. <laughs> Here is Peterson describing an important political awakening he experienced from reading George Orwell, who he says, finally convinced him not to be a socialist. Do you mind reading well, well, the Orwell? The, the I oral? do not.
1: Also, could you imagine trying to get people riled up that there were more female physicians or that there were plus-sized bikini models? Just well, like, I, think, can, I think with the – I bet with the female physicians right, thing, it's it males would have are been being like – <laughs> Or,
0: no, I was thinking like women um, like are caregivers and you can see that oh. in the fact that they are doctors. I'm not sure. I'm see, not sure, I would have thought it
1: would have been like women talk about not being equals in society, but there's more women doctors than there are male doctors. Obviously they're encouraging women to look at bikini models more than men. Obviously, that's part of it. So. Okay. <laughs> my college roommate, and in, this is the quote, uh, my college roommate, an insightful cynic, expressed skepticism regarding my ideological beliefs. He told me that the world could not be completely encapsulated within the boundaries of socialist philosophy. I had more or less come to this conclusion on my own, but had not admitted so much in words. Soon afterward, however, I read George Orwell's Road to a Gone Pier, This book finally undermined me, not only my socialist ideology, but my faith in ideological stances themselves. In the famous essay concluding that book, written for, and much to the dismay of, the British left book club, Orwell described the great flaw of socialism and the reason for its frequent failure to attract and maintain democratic power, at least in Britain. Orwell said essentially that socialists did not really like the poor, they merely hated the rich, His idea struck home instantly. Socialist ideology served to mask resentment and hatred bred by failure. Many of the party activists I had encountered were using the ideals of social justice to rationalize their pursuit of personal revenge. And here is George Orwell in The Road to Wagon Pier, which Peterson says convinced him that socialism was folly because socialists were resentful. Please notice that I am arguing for socialism, not against it. (laughs) The job of the thinking person, therefore, is not to reject socialism, but to make up his mind to humanize it. For the moment, the only possible course of any decent person, however much of a Tory or an anarchist by temperament, is to work for the establishment of socialism. Nothing else can save us from the misery of the present or the nightmare of the future. Indeed, from one point of view, Socialism is such elementary common sense that I am sometimes amazed it has not established itself already. The world is a raft sailing through space with potentially plenty of provisions for everybody. The idea that we must all cooperate and see to it that everyone does his fair share of the work and gets his fair share of the provisions seems so blatantly obvious that one would say that nobody could possibly fail to accept it unless he had some corrupt motive for clinging to the present system to recoil from socialism because so many socialists are inferior people is as absurd as refusing to travel by train because you like the ticket dislike the ticket collector's face. Once again, Peterson just finding those secret truths.
0: Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. he
1: could just read between the lines, the white space of this work, mm-hmm. which I'm not able to do. Orwell flat out says that anybody who evaluates the merits of
0: socialist policies by the personal qualities of socialists themselves is an idiot peterson concludes that orwell thought socialist policies uh was flawed because Socialists themselves for bad people. I don't think there is a way of reading Peterson other than as an extremely stupid or extremely dishonest, but one can be charitable and assume that he simply did not read the book that supposedly gave him his grand revelation about socialism. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case as far as uh, w- with Peterson not reading the book i know that and believe me i'm not trying to say anything bad about people that that like don't read or whatever or have an aversion to reading i mm-hmm. you know because i struggle with it too i i often avoid it but i also don't go around saying that i've read something when i haven't you know i think back to Peterson and the uh, uh, Zizek debate debate. and just how, uh, you know, I've read very, very little Marx. I've read very little Marx, right? In fact, I haven't ever completed any of his works. I've read portions of a few of his works, but I've never completed any of his works. And yet, I still know from the little bit I've read and the lot of lectures I've listened to, peterson is so wrong one of my favorite things that was just so hilarious to me is he said that marx doesn't care about the physical world he said right. <laughs> um and and it's like the dude came up with historical materialism right all he cared not all he cared about but his whole thing was like the material the conditions by the material conditions
1: right, right. like yeah. oh my god um, well, and he even in that debate admitted like he's like well, Zizek, you've written a lot of stuff, so I decided to read none of it, and I decided that even though you're not Marx, your whole lifestyle must be based in capital. So I read the Cliff Notes for that book. Basically, <laughs> it's like what he said to prepare for the debate. Well, uh, he s- he said that he he reread the
0: Communist Manifesto, but I'm not oh, even sure. Right. No, if you're I right. Buy that, it was you know? yeah,
1: and it was the Communist Manifesto, not even capital. So, and it was just so clear anybody who's listening please go watch that debate just type in zizek b peterson even if you just skip all of peterson's shit zizek kills it uh and was very prepared for what he came to talk about and I it's know. a beautiful thing to watch
0: even now however i am being too generous to peterson's uh jordan peterson's intellect i have been presenting him at his most comprehensible and polished. I have not been giving you the full experience of actually listening to him talk. <laughs> Sitting through a Jordan Peterson lecture is very difficult. Different? Yeah. Very different to watching a rapid fire television interview. Below, please find a full trans transcribed portion of a 17 minute uh, 17 minutes of Peterson's speech. This is a random chunk from the first a lecture I happened to click on, a lecture that is ostensibly introducing maps of meaning. In the clip, Peterson is in the middle of, again, ostensibly, analyzing how the children's book, There's No Such Thing as a Dragon, displays the archetypes found in classical mythology. I would like you to bear in mind that this is a man the New Yorker calls the Internet's most most revered intellectual and the Guardian says is fast becoming the closest that academia has to a rock star. Also remember that this is a man who advises people to be clear and precise and says he is very, very, very careful with his words. Oh, and that he wants to completely defund women's studies departments because he thinks they churn out meaningless verbiage ready here we go note under no circumstances attempt to read the entirety of the following passage read as much as you before you begin to feel weary then scroll quickly to the end all right paul Uh, yeah we'll get through it
1: first off I would just like to say, I feel like the New Yorker was probably making fun of him when he called him the internet's most revered intellectual. I don't know about uh, that. Maybe not, but I don't I know don't. if they would call the internet's, I don't know how serious the New Yorker would take the internet's most revered intellectual. Right. Just maybe, maybe I'm off. Um, so obviously we're not going to read this whole thing. No, Uh no, We'll read no. a bit of it. Yep. Um, maybe if there's any interest, which I doubt there will be. We'll read it all in fun voices for Patreon. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, because that's what people want to (laughs) hear. Yeah. Uh, But it's going to be an obscene entry rate. Right. Uh, Maybe the $500 level. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine having that? Okay. So, uh, Mike, how about you just tell me when you're fucking sick of listening to this? Okay. Uh, So here is Peterson. Mother made some pancakes for Billy, but the dragon ate them all. Fuck. (laughs) Mother made some more, but the dragon ate those too. Mother kept making pancakes until she ran out of batter. Billy only got one of them, but he said that's all he really wanted anyway. So I'll tell you another story about that. So when I lived in Boston, I had little kids, and my wife took care of some of the neighborhood little kids because she didn't have a green card. And that was, she was, god damn, it's hard to read, but I guess this is what he really said. And that was, she was home with the kids anyway, and anyway, She took care of some other little kids. One of them would only eat hot dogs. That was quite funny. (laughs) He'd only eat hot dogs at his mother's place. But at our house, he ate all of his lunch, and he was perfectly happy about it. So I thought that was quite amusing, too. But anyways, one day a neighbor came by, and the neighbor had a four-year-old child. And the neighbor was looking for someone to take care of the child because her nanny had been in a car accident and couldn't take care of the child temporarily. So the child had sort of been circulating around neighborhood houses for a couple of days. Uh, just the visual image of just like you right, wandering in different yeah. houses being like yeah. oh my nanny got in a car accident <laughs> I need you to take care of me oh, <laughs> okay. oh. so the child has sort of been circulating around neighborhood houses for a couple of days and you know people were taking care of him and then he ended up at our house which was fine and so he's a cute little guy and his the mother came to the door and she said she's pushed the boy and he was kind of like this sulking he, he wasn't very happy and she said he probably won't eat all day but that's okay <laughs> and I thought Hmm, that's a remarkably interesting statement to, you know, to put forth as a proposition the first time we meet your son, it's like, he won't eat all day, which by the way, is not okay. It's not okay. And you're going to tell us that it's okay. And you're going to expect that we're just going to accept the fact that you think it's okay. Oh, my God. And that's the whole story. You deliver all that information in one little sentence. So I thought, well, that's pretty damn peculiar. I believe she was the psychologist too, which was quite interesting. So, uh, okay, so that's fine. So I went out to do something and there was four kids playing in the house. And when I came back, the little guy was in the porch, like where the boots were and everything. And he was sort of standing there like this soaking. And I thought, hmm, that's not good because there's all these other kids. Like he should have been in there playing, eh? That's obviously, that's what a child is primed to do. He should have been in there messing about with what I think there was a two-year-old and a three-year-old and another four-year-old. Should have been in there, you know, causing trouble and having fun and playing, but he wasn't. And he was standing on the porch like this, sulking, and he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy, so I looked at him for a bit, and then I poked him a couple of times because I thought, you know, if you, when you're acting with little kids, they're very playful, eh? They're kind of like puppies, and so if you tease them a bit and tickle them a bit, then usually, even if they're crabby, you know, a smile will break out despite their best efforts, and then they'll sort of giggle, and maybe you know, they'll try to whack you away, and you know, they go into a play routine. And although you may know it, mammals like us have a play circuit, you know, so we're intrinsically playful, which is partly why we can get along with dogs. Because, of course, dogs are intrinsically playful and most people know how to play with a dog. And, uh, you know, when a dog wants to play, right, because it sort of puts its paws down and looks up at you and sort of grins, it puts its tail in the air and goes like, that's it. It's like clue and primate you know, it's time to engage in some playing. And you know, you basically, you know, how to do that. And even the dog knows how to do that. So I'm poking this kid and trying to get him to smile, but there's no damn way, you know, I'm poking him. He's just ignoring me like mad. And I thought that's not good, you know, because you don't want your four year old to have learned that you should, that it's okay to ignore the adults. Uh, And I'm gonna stop there because you're fucking poking a child and mad that he's ignoring you. Nothing but failure and bad responses. And, you know, he'd internalized all that and he thought he was a bad kid. And then all of a sudden, poof, he figured this out and, you know, got a little reward for it. It was like he just lit up and that whole shell that he had on that he was like using to protect himself when he was in the porch that just melted away. It was like horrifying and amazing at the same time. And that he followed my wife around after that in the house just like a puppy dog, like he, got, like he wouldn't get, he would not more often than one foot away from her. Is that what he said? Jesus Christ. It was unbelievable, and then he went downstairs to watch like a movie with kids, and she sat on her rocking chair, and he climbed right up on her lap and grabbed her, just like that Harlow monkey grabbed the, you know, the little soft mother instead of the wiry frump mother frump. He was like this grasping and he was like that for like two hours. He wouldn't let her go. So then the mother came home and she came downstairs and she looked at what was going on. And this kid was like, glommed onto my wife and he looked at her and said, Oh, super mom. And you know, took her kid and went home. It's like, Jesus, if you don't think that there's a dragon in that story, man, you're not listening to it. It was not good. And her response at the end was terrible. She should have said, well, how did you get him to eat? It's like, what the hell isn't he doing hugging you? He never does that to me. No way, man, she wasn't going to let that piece of information in. And it's no wonder because the dragon in that story was her. And it was something that she did not want to admit. And she was willing perfectly willing to sacrifice her child to failure to realize that she could be a dragon. So that meant that the child was the problem. And that's a hell of a thing to do to a four-year-old. So it was not pleasant. It was really not pleasant. In fact, we probably did damage to the child by actually getting him to do something good. eh? Because we opened him up to the possibility that he could behave properly and he'd be rewarded for that. And that gave him hope. And so you can bloody well be sure that hope was dispensed with the next day. So, and that's why Billy doesn't get anything to eat.
0: Jesus Christ, man. You know, I feel bad about the rambling we do here. And then you read something like that
1: and I realized that we're pretty succinct and we're pretty on top of what we do here. That was just so like Trumpian as well, where it's just nonsense. It's just so much fucking nonsense. And And, um, and keep
0: in mind, we skipped a massive portion. Like that story goes on. So we don't know
1: how Jordan trained this small monkey dog of a child. But it was like 57 to 600 paragraphs. It took a long time to skip. And of course, there was no paragraph breaks because he just talks nonsense. He's just rambling, rambling, rambling. Uh, But also... If my choice was to be that child and deal with my dragon mother or whatever that rambling shit we just missed was, I guess I'm glad I had a dragon mom.
0: Um, next episode, I'd love to start our fourth and final episode for um, this Nathan Robinson thing. Yeah as uh, I'd like to start at uh, having safely established that Jordan Peterson is an intellectual fraud who yes. <laughs> uses a lot of words to say almost nothing. Yeah, that's, that's where I'd like to start next time. Thank you so much for, for bringing that portion to life. It just made it, at least for me, he, hearing you read it, it just made it so clear how, how absurd he is with some of
1: this stuff. Um, and just insulting. In every mm-hmm. way possible to everybody he talks about, yeah. Like if I read somebody referring to my child as like a monkey and a dog, and then I read like fourteen sentences about how you were just fucking poking my child, I'd be very upset. Yeah, I'd be very upset. Yep. Anyhow,
0: uh, next uh, yeah. next episode we are going to dive into. Into some more of the depths of Peterson, and then we will, like a phoenix, rise from the ashes that are yes. Peterson's nonsenser yes. nonsensicalness. And I feel I did that. I feel like he would like the allusion to yeah. the phoenix, you know, yes. and and yes. archetypes and whatnot. We'll, right. We will that, be the um, the hero um, coming out of the fucking um, dragon's right. cave with the
1: treasure yes. of knowledge and stuff. Well, and our phoenix. Oh, awoke the dragon when it entered his airspace too i'm not going to spoil it now but what we have coming after peterson is very exciting. Gonna really going to intellectually cleanse you yeah uh, seriously guarantee. dude like Guaranteed.
0: talk about like a palate cleanser for sure <laughs> yeah. like yeah. oh my god all right but uh anyhow yeah uh thank you all for uh joining us and have a great day